Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. I want to welcome everybody. Last Sunday, I uh, invited you to post your number one prayer request online at uh, liquidchurch.com. We asked this question, what would you... Uh, ask God if you were absolutely confident he was listening. Well, obviously you were listening because the prayer requests posted this week were in a word extraordinary. There were over 115 uh, specific detailed requests in all, and they ranged from the confessional, you know, someone struggling with a 25-year addiction, to the, the practical. Uh, one said, Lord, we need good tenants ASAP and a good home for our loving dog. <laughs> And to the heart-rending, a girl's prayer for her parents as her family is going through a divorce. And uh, I want to just log on here real quick to give you kind of a sampling. Maybe you posted this week, but like I said, some of them were very, very uh, diverse. But um, this one, again, this was an addiction. This girl's twin sister is sick with an incurable autoimmune disease. She's undergoing chemo. Um, This one is praying for my father and your father, too. Thank you for so many of you who just kind of want to encourage me and say, you know, my father or my mother, my parent is struggling too with cancer or, or, uh, or an illness. I really appreciate that. It's like to know you're kind of knit together with other people who God has at a similar point in the journey. I want to thank you for that. Um, you can take a look, though. Some of them um, are about marriages, healed broken relationships, broken hearts. There is betrayal. Um, one person's writing for their son David to find a godly wife. Um, good. <laughs> um, this, this person is praying for his wife. That God, Scott is praying that God would bless her with a godly friend who'd come by her side and be like a sister to her. She seems to be lonely. This one is interesting. It said, Dear God, I know I'm still young. It could very well be a decade before you show me who she should be, but it gets pretty lonely around here. I'm staring at two wedding cards posted on my desk board, have a save the date in my drawer, listening to an ex-girlfriend plan her wedding on the weekends. My sisters have kids, and almost all of my friends are in awesome relationships that have rings in sight. Honestly, Lord, it doesn't help that half of my church messages are about sex or marriage. (laughs) I'm lonely. Where is she? I know that you want the best for me, and I fight the urge to say that I'm the one who knows what's best. I I think I've got good things, though, to offer someone. Is there some reason I don't see that I'm relegated to third wheel? I love you, and I'm working on trusting you with this, but it's tough. In my, I don't have the money, patience, or free time excuses wearing thin. I have the patience. I've been saving money, and I have more free time than I know what to do with. Tim said, don't be afraid to be specific. If you need a spouse, don't be shy. Well, here's my specific prayer, God. I need someone to share life with, someone to be with, someone to love, someone to build a life with. It's lonely down here, and I know your love is filling in ways I'm still learning, but just like there's a God-shaped hole in our hearts, I was taught that there's a person-shaped hole in our hearts, too. It'd be nice to have someone to fill that with. I love you, Father, and I'm trying to wait patiently for an answer. Again, amazing. Just kind of loneliness was a recurring theme and, and relational um, harmony, you know, even for people who, who are married. Um, one here says that actually that she's, um, Lord, my heartfelt prayer, my one heartfelt prayer for you is for my husband to want you deeply from his heart and that he would want to pray with me. Read your word with me and have a passion to worship and serve you together. Lord, I'm so very weary of hoping for this that I can hardly even make this request one more time and believe it could ever be answered. <sighs> Amazing prayers. And I tell you, I read every one of these, and just as I was reading them, I kind of like my heart was, was heavy for you. You know, it's like you read these and you realize the kind of things people are, are walking around with is just like kind of amazing. 
Um, this one says, this is heart-wrenching for me. It said, Father, I've been coming to you with the same prayer for the past four years. When Tim asked if we had one prayer, what would it be? I started crying. I realized that I had given up on this prayer because it's gone unanswered for so long. But here I am on my knees asking again for this one thing, that you would take my stepmom to be home with you. For four years, I've waited while she lays in a coma, resigned to the fact that she'll never wake up. Because of this, our family's been torn apart, relationships broken, painful truths exposed. I've found myself angry at you, at my family, and at her for leaving me when I needed her most. And I've prayed day and night for you to take her, and yet she's still in a coma, still in a home, still waiting to be at peace. This situation is beyond any human understanding. I know that you are good and that you transcend any human reasoning, and that's why I ask, please, let her go home to you. Let this painful situation finally be at rest. Knowing that she's with you would be the greatest answer to my prayers. Intense. I spent all yesterday afternoon reading each one. I have to tell you, I can't quite imagine being, you know, like in God's position. What do you do, what do, you do with a prayer like this from Zane, three years old? Dear God, please send me a father, three babies, and a dog named Psst, Psst. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Love you, love you, Zane. I know he's three years old because his mom posted underneath it, Dear Lord, I pray that Zane would fall in love with you. I pray that nothing would hinder my precious son from coming to know you at a very young age. Lord, let him know of your unfailing love. Help him to reach for you when all else fails. I pray that he would know you as his Abba. Lord, he's only three, and he has already had his earthly father walk away from him. Please show him that you will never leave him nor forsake him. The mountains may shake and the hills be moved, but your unfailing love will not be shaken. You promise to be a father for the fatherless, and I praise you right now for that. Thank you, Father God, for loving him even more than I ever could. I offer him up to you, Lord. He's yours. Please help me be the kind of mother you want me to be. I praise you and thank you for the most amazing blessings I've ever experienced in being his mommy. Thank you, Lord, that he is already a boy that loves to pray and praise you. Help his passion and desire for you to grow as he grows. I submit this all to you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just amazing, you know. What do you do do with prayers like that? If these don't move the heart of God, then is he made of stone? Look at this one from Henny. She says, Lord God, they're so uncensored and so honest. Thank you for that. Lord God, help me to love my neighbor, Ben. The mere sound of her voice makes me cringe. (laughs) She goes on to that, and she says, you got to change me inside of my heart, you know. Another one says, I pray once again that you could save my marriage. I've been praying this for so long. I tried so many times to fix it. I don't know what else to do. Some were prayers of praise, some were prayers of need, some to reignite the passion that you once had for God. And I was like, wow, that's a prayer. But as I said, the majority were honest, earnest, and sincere. But there's another thing that's also true of all the prayers that were posted online. God will answer some and decline others. Why? That's hard to admit. But it's the truth. And it's also the reason so many of us struggle with prayer. Because a lack of results, you put yourself out there, you stick your neck out there, it often causes you to lose hope or question faith with the idea that maybe God won't answer. See, some of you actually will be joyful um, in the days ahead when you finally realize that God is coming through for you. You will remember, I guarantee some of you will remember back to the time you took a risk, you made your private prayer public, and then you were mortified when Pastor Tim read it out loud. (laughs) You posted your plea for a spouse online, but now you're like, look, God gave me her. He answered my prayer, and you will remember that for the rest of your life. God coming through. Some of us, however, will be seemingly disappointed because this will be another moment in which you took the risk of making your desires known to God, perhaps with renewed confidence that he is listening and wants to provide for you, and he doesn't. 
at least not in the way or the timing you wanted. And you'll be frustrated. Tempted, it's natural, tempted to despair and just kind of give up on the whole prayer thing, not really sure if it makes a lick of difference at all. And this is why Jesus told a story to his followers in Luke chapter 11, which I introduced to you last week and I want to pick up. So if you have your Bible, I'll invite you to turn with it, uh, turn there with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. It's on page 1679. If you were here last week, you know it's where we left off in our discussion about prayer. Now, this is part three of our series, Vertical, Communicating with God. And last week we looked at this passage where Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, how to pray. And Jesus answered them with a model known as the Lord's Prayer, a story, and an analogy. And the first thing Jesus taught is crucial to understand about prayer is that it's actually not about a secret formula that gets God to do stuff for us. Now that it's online doesn't mean he's going to answer it automatic. Or now that you prayed it a certain way doesn't mean that now you got his ear, you did it right. It's not jumping through hoops. This is about a relationship, Jesus says. It's about a relationship actually of dependency between an all-powerful creator and his creatures in need. Prayer is a declaration of dependence, we said last week. And each of you actually demonstrated that need this past week when you posted online. When you posted your prayers to God and made your request known publicly, you were doing something powerful. <laughs> you know what you were saying, in effect? You were saying for all the world to hear, God, I am depending on you. <laughs> because if you don't do this, this isn't going to happen. And if you don't bring him back and heal my marriage, it's not going to happen. And if you don't heal her, it's not going to happen. If you don't provide for me, then I'm in trouble. And you are the great God who can. And I'm surrendered to you, and that's why I'm asking. This is my declaration of dependence, Abba, because if you don't move, this thing ain't going to happen. And that's an amazing way to open up in prayer, by unveiling our hearts to the God who invites us to call him Daddy. (laughs) And when we humble ourselves that way, declaring our dependency on him to come through, he says, you know what, I I like that. And I am honored by that. And I might actually just do something about what you're asking. That's what Jesus says in the beginning here to the disciples when he teaches them to pray. He says in verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. You're my daddy and my creator. I honor you and I'm intimate with you. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. In other words, Jesus says, it's pretty simple, (laughs) prayer. (laughs) You've heard this before. When you pray, you just say, God, you're great. I want your deal over my deal. And there's some stuff I need. Forgiveness, protection, amen. That's it. Pretty simple. (laughs) That's literally the two-verse synopsis, an abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples. But then in verse 6, he launches into this longer discussion about the thing that frustrates you and me most about prayer. Because some of you have prayed this prayer before the Lord's Prayer. You know it well, the variations of it. And yet you have questions. Why is it that when I pray, I declare God's greatness, I surrender my will, I ask him for stuff, and I don't get it. It doesn't happen. In fact, some of the stuff that I've asked for is stuff that surely is in God's will. I mean, he wants my heart to be healed, right? He's, you, I mean, anyone's got to agree that providing an earthly father for my little boy is a good thing, yes? I mean, most of these requests on our website are things that you would think any benevolent God would want to have happen, and yet, not all of them do, and it is frustrating. Perhaps one of the most vexing aspects of prayer, and when it happens, when God doesn't seem to respond, it can just like pfft, deflate you. In fact, maybe that's one of the reasons you quit praying or you gave up on church or abandoned God because you prayed a prayer that you thought anybody would know this is something God ought to do and he didn't do it and it's frustrating. Well, here's the great news. This is why you should actually read your Bible. Jesus doesn't end with just a little model for praying like do this and, you know, it doesn't work out, tough luck. Rather, 
he hits the issue of unanswered prayer head on. He, he fearlessly dives right in and addresses that frustration you and I have both experienced. And the reason he addresses it is because he knew you'd have it. That's the good news. If you've ever been frustrated in prayer, God knows about it. There's not something wrong with you. There's not something necessarily wrong with God. You know, there's a tendency to think, well, either something's wrong with me or something's wrong with him. And Jesus says, no, it's a common occurrence in the spiritual life. In your conversation with Abba, you're going to ask your father for stuff, assume it's his will and it doesn't happen. And when that happens, I'm going to tell you what to do about it. Let me tell you a little story. (laughs) Okay, by now we're all here. Luke chapter 11, let's pick up at verse 5. Then Jesus said to his followers, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And we'll just stop right there. Again, longest teaching that Jesus has on prayer. And, and, and here's the deal. This, this weird little story that Jesus tells his followers seems out of place at first glance. It's like he's teaching them about how to pray, say this, then say that. And then he starts talking about this cranky neighbor who won't get up to give his buddy some bread. <laughs> but the story isn't as strange as you think because it's a backdoor way to understanding what our Father wants us to do when it seems like our prayers are just kind of bouncing off heaven's ceilings. In his book, Prayer, What Difference Does It Make?, which I've recommended to you a couple times now, author Philip Yancey notes this. He says, you know, Jesus' story about village neighbors likely provoked smiles, actually, and chuckles in his first century audience. Think about this. It's late one night, and a man opens his door to an unexpected guest. And that was not uncommon in a hot desert climate where most people traveled after sunset. So this, like, to you or I, it's like someone stopping by at 1 a.m., what are they doing? You know, New Jersey, you get shot. It's like, no, it wouldn't have been that totally uncommon. But this guy opens his door, and he, only, he has his pantry. is totally bare. And this is where the problem is. See, in Jesus' region of the Middle East, hospitality was everything. And no decent person would turn away a weary traveler or put him to bed without nourishment. So the host strikes out to a friend's house to ask him for bread. Actually, it was probably more than bread he wanted. Check this out. There's a guy by the name of Kenneth Bailey. He's a Presbyterian missionary. He lived in Lebanon for 40 years. And he's like, there's a cultural nuance here that most Americans miss. See, Palestinians use bread as you and I use silverware. They break off bite-sized pieces and they dip into a common dish of meat and vegetables and then they eat the entire sop. So, so the guy's likely asking his friend for a main course as well as a few loaves of bread. The guy's got a big request and he's got the guts to go banging on his neighbor's door after midnight. But in Jesus' story, the neighbor's a bit of a crank. He's like, what are you doing? It's late. Don't bother me. <laughs> The door is locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And, and, and I'm over-dramatizing it, but that's not totally cranky or lazy. <laughs> His reason for denying him is fairly reasonable. See, in the first century, folks didn't live in homes like you and I. It wasn't like, um, you know what? I see you through the, the, the shutters here. Go around the back. Let yourself in the kitchen. Um, have some Frankenberry cereal. Take what you want, you know, for your, your midnight snack. See, in Jesus' day... 
Everyone lived in a one-room house. No McMansion. Think tent. Any of you ever been camping? Anyone ever been camping with kids? You know what it's like. Everyone in one big room, and when you finally get everyone down to sleep, you get the kids bedded down, you get them zipped up in their sleeping bags. You don't want anyone to get up. Because one person gets up, the whole room's getting up. You got to step over them, you like trip on feet, you step on a face, you unzip the flap, you know, it's a pain. And so guys like, go away. Don't bother me. Everyone's in their sleeping bag. And although that's a reasonable excuse, a Middle Eastern audience would have laughed out loud at this. It would have been, how lame. Can you imagine such a neighbor, some friend? No, 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 not in my village. No one would ever act so rudely. If he did, the entire village would know about it by morning. And then Jesus delivers the punchline in verse 8. He says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, some friend, (laughs) yet because of the man's, everyone together, boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And the little Greek word here, boldness, you'll see in your footnote at the very bottom, is translated as persistence in every other English translation of the Bible, which is really the essence of the word here. The man is persistent in his request. He just keeps like banging and banging on the door, banging on the door, I need bread, I want bread, give me bread, go, go away, bread, please, loaf of sourdough, por favor, you know? <laughs> the guy actually becomes a bit of a pest. <laughs> That's where we, we get the word pest from, persistence. And the idea is this. Even though this cranky neighbor wouldn't get up and give him some bread because he's a friend. The fact that he's going to stand there all night and knock on his door and bother him and wake up his surrounding neighbors. Finally, out of pure frustration, maybe embarrassment, he's going to go, all right, good good grief, here. And he'll get out of bread, wake up his wife, give him the loaf of sourdough, unlock the door, trip over the kid's sleeping bag and say, take it. Take the bread, feed your friends and just leave me alone. So Jesus says, even if he's not going to do it out of friendship... Because he's irritated, and the guy won't go away, he'll finally get up and give the guy what he's asking for. And then Jesus' application of prayer follows immediately in verse 9. So I say this to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now get this. This is a parable, right? And when you see a parable, tell me you don't think, all right, One of the persons in the story is me, and someone in the story is God, right? That's how parables work, right? Remember the prodigal son, right? The son says, you know, he he takes all the stuff, and he says, Dad, you're as good as dead. I'm going to take my inheritance and leave. And you hear that parable, and you're like, okay, I'm like the rebellious son, and God's like the father waiting for my safe return. I come back, and God welcomes me with open arms. Oh, I like that parable. Good story. But this one's confusing, (laughs) Jesus' disciples would be going, well, who do you think is us? (laughs) Well, obviously, we're like the guy knocking on the door, because this is about prayer, and prayer is knocking on the door and trying to get something from the guy inside, and that would make God, whoa. God's like a grumpy old man (laughs) going, don't bother me, surely. That's not who God is, and you'd be right. (laughs) Because Luke positions the story right after Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and he's drawing a sharp contrast between a reluctant neighbor and Abba the Father. In other words... If a stingy neighbor who has turned in for the night, who wishes more than anything for you to just go away, who does his best to ignore you, if that kind of cantankerous neighbor eventually rouses to give you what you want, how much more will your loving father respond to your bold persistence in prayer? How much more? If you're going to write in your Bible, underline those three words in verse 13. 
After all, Jesus asked rhetorically, what earthly father would put a snake on his son's plate if he wanted a fish? Or drop a scorpion in his daughter's lunch bag instead of an egg? (laughs) See, folks, the Lord's Prayer takes on a whole new light in the story Jesus tells immediately after. I mean, the Lord's Prayer, it's so familiar to so many of us, we often mumble it as a ritual, kind of a mindless incantation. And Jesus says, no, when you pray, don't mumble and meekly ask for something, amen, then drop it. When you are serious about something, When you want your father to respond to your needs, you should pray like a salesman with his foot wedged in the door opening. Like a wrestler who has his opponent in a headlock and won't let go. Why? Because your daddy, God, far from being bothered by your persistence, is often moved by it. Those of you who are fathers may intuitively know this. I often tell you about my kids, my little girl Chase, who is four in a delight. Me and her dancing, she's very verbal, loves to play princesses and tea and, you know, all that sweet stuff. It's my four-year-old little girl. Now, my little boy, Dell, he is two. And he is a terror. <laughs> On the bad days, we call him Deli Bin Laden. <laughs> uh, I, I think the polite word in Christian circles is he's a strong-willed child. Thank you, I've got the book. (laughs) Now, I shouldn't paint this too one-sided, because he is a sweet boy. He loves to give these, you know, like, just big kisses, and then, like, he won't let go, and suddenly someone's biting me, you know? His hugs, and all of a sudden, let go, let go, I can't breathe. Either way, Deli's a treat. He really is, because even though he's two and a half, actually, he doesn't speak very well. When he gets his mind on something, he communicates it. He makes his will known. So, for example, we go to the mall a couple of months ago, and I'm hanging out in the Apple store. That's like where I go. Colleen goes, you know, to clothes shopping, whatever. I'm like going to the Apple store, lusting over the iPods, whatever. And my wife, Colleen, she's like, oh, I'll hang out in the general vicinity. I'll go across the way to Pottery Barn Kids. And I can see them across the mall. And like, I'm here, you know, you know playing around with the latest gadgetry, whatever, cool. And then I see out of my periphery vision, like something going on across the way in Pottery Barn Kids. I see like all sorts of attendants like rushing to the front and everything of the store and everything. So I just see my wife's eyes, this like frantic look, you know, and she's pulling. I can't see my son, but I can see his legs. And she's pulling on his legs with this look on her face like help. So like, you know, I run over and help her and my boy, my son, he has his fingers wrapped around this mobile. It's a, it's a mobile of the solar system that you hang from the ceiling, okay? And apparently he saw this thing and he loves anything with round objects. Balls, rocks, fruit, you name it, he's going to chuck it at you. And so he saw this mobile of the planets and Pottery Barn kids. So what does this kid do? He climbs up on the double-decker bunk beds so he can reach out and get a hold of this thing. And he's just about got his hands around Saturn when Colleen catches him, but he's not letting go. And she's trying to pull him off. And, the, you know, people are just like, okay, easy, eat, let go, little boy. Easy. And he's like, ah, you know. He's a persistent little bugger. <laughs> so Abba, daddy, comes over. <laughs> And I get his little fingers off, and, and, and he's just going, at this point, he's just going crazy. One word. He doesn't speak a lot of words. He's got this word down. He's like, planets, 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 planets. And he's screaming planets. And I was like, I see, I see, I see the planets. They're very nice. Just let go. Just, you can look. No, 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 no. Touch, no touch. Parents, you know about this game, right? So anyway, we, we vacate the store. All right, we may have been asked to leave, details. But, but the rest of our trip is like ruined. You know, it's taken over by Dell. He's just inconsolable. Planets, I want the planets. Give me planets. So we're like, well, you know, let's 
let's get his mind off. So we go to Johnny Rockets to grab lunch, you know. Maybe like a little food will get his mind on other things. So the waitress, you know, she comes up and we order. I let the kids, you know, order. You know, the, she's like, you know, and what do you want, uh, you know, little girl? And she's like, cheeseburger with fries. And the waitress turns it down. She's like, what do you want, little man? He's like, planets. And he does this thing where his hands shake when he does this. We're like, all right, very good. Time, you know, time to go home. Let's just, kid fixates on something. You know what it's like. So we took him home, figured he'd forget about it. Not so much. Next morning, Colleen goes in to wake him up, get him out of his crib. What's the first word out of his mouth? <laughs> good morning, Dell. Planets, you know. And all through the day for the rest of that week, all we hear about is planets. And I mean, I, I, we figured this thing would pass, but it didn't. This was around World Series time. And uh, I remember watching the game the following weekend. All the kids are there, like in the TV room, and we're just chilling. And, and you know, I try to interest the kids, you know. Uh, they'll watch baseball with me now and then. And we're sitting there, and it's all the pregame hoopla. And on the screen comes this, this baseball logo of a big baseball just kind of spinning around on the screen. And I was like, come here, Dell, you want to watch baseball? And he, he goes over. He stands in front of that screen. It was like yesterday. And he turns to me and just goes, planets, daddy. You know, he sees this ball spinning. It was like, I didn't give in. No chance. We must have went to that mall three more times and went by that store, and every time, same fixation, same request, same persistence, became kind of a running joke. You know, plants, 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 plants. We even tried the educational route. We went to the library, got a book on planets, and he loved it. But it just kind of fueled his obsession with the solar system <laughs> even further, you know? Planets, planets, morning, noon, and night. Well, my wife and I thought, <laughs> Colleen and I, we actually had a conversation. We were like, you know, this kid and his obsession with planets. We are like, he's either going to be a rocket scientist or like Rain Man, you know, like, like, you know, Discovery Channel, what time Discovery Channel, you got right, you know. We know what eventually happened. One day last month, I'm, I'm going to the mall, and Colleen is like, why don't you take the kids with you? And I was like, no, 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 I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. But then I looked at the kids who were playing, and there was Deli, and he's sitting on the floor, and he's reading, kind of chewing his library book, just some, thumbing through, and now he's got some names. He doesn't just got planets. He's like, Saturn, Mark, Uranus, and I... And I was like, boy, in 10 years, you're going to have fun with that one. Let me tell you, son. That's... And I thought, you know what? Today's the day. I'm not taking Chase, just me and the boy. And I took Deli with me. And it was a great trip. We went, and she thought we were probably going to go to the Apple store. And we went into Pottery Barn Kids. And I said, Del, my son, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, today is the day I have heard your cries. And I do not want to hear them again. <laughs> And father and son, we marched into Pottery Barn Kids. By then, the band was lifted. And, and I get the boy, this $35 mobile of planets that he so desperately wanted. Now, you know what? I don't love my boy any more or less because of that. It actually doesn't have a lot to do with love. It has to mainly do with my son's persistence, <laughs> And me realizing I'm in a position to do something about this. Parents, you know this. Every once in a while, your daughter or your son will keep bugging you, bugging you, bugging you, bugging you, bugging you, until you finally give in and you give them what you want. And you don't do that for everything, right? I mean, if my son had been like, rattlesnake, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get the kid a snake. But the truth is, because Dell is my son and I am his daddy, anything he requests, if it's within my power and isn't harmful to him or others, I'm going to probably do it. Now, I may feel differently when he's 16 and wants a dirt bike. <laughs> but as I said, this has to do with safety. It took a two-year-old approximately one month to move his earthly father to action with his persistence. And to that boy's credit, he kept at it. <laughs> it wasn't a passing desire, but a persistent request. 
And I've played up the irritation part, but you know what? It didn't bother me. In the end, it moved me. And I actually felt a degree of pleasure walking out of Pottery Barn with my boy and that little mobile under his arm. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, (laughs) know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Folks, this is Jesus' instruction to us about prayer. (laughs) Keep at it. Keep knocking and do not give up. Because your Father is not bothered by your persistence. Sometimes his heart is fundamentally moved by it. I mean, Jesus' parable could not be any clearer. When you pray, you tell your dad he's great. You tell him your surrender, that you trust him, that father does know best. You tell him what you need and what you want. And, oh, yeah, this. Don't quit asking. Don't quit asking. Don't quit asking. I want you to ask planets, 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 planets. Ask, seek, knock. Planets. And the significance of Jesus' saying here is not that there's something mysterious about asking versus seeking versus knocking. Rather, it's about intensity. These commands here come in a certain kind of progression, each one with a little more intense than the one preceding it, like ask. I, I need this, Dad. That's, that's strong. That's pretty direct. But to seek is stronger. I'm really coming after you for this. And knock is even more intense. Knock, knock, not going to go away. Haven't forgotten planets. In other words, Jesus says, sometimes your father wants his children to turn up their heat in our prayers, for something we're asking from him. He wants you to ask and seek and knock, and then ask and then seek and then knock, and ask and seek and knock, and even if nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens, then you ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock, and don't you dare give up. You keep coming back, coming back. I need bread. Give me bread. Even if it looks impossible and not going to happen, because sometimes your heavenly Father, who has infinitely more resources, resources than your earthly one, will give in. And sometimes he will respond. Not because you force him to. You're just a kid after all. This kid's a two-year-old. You force me to? No. But because his heart is moved by persistent, consistent prayer. Do you believe that? If if we go back to our cellular metaphor of where you are on your calling plan, (laughs) then you realize what Jesus is saying is this. One of the ways that you take an uptick in your connection is by hitting pound six. That is redial. (laughs) That is, if you really want to break through in your prayer life and see God respond, then you need to pick up the phone and you keep at it. When we're on the line and we get put on call waiting, we're supposed to hit redial. And you dial in and you dial in and you dial in. And even if you think you're not getting through, you dial in anyway because your father is listening. He may not be immediately responding, but he is listening to his children and he's moved by your constant calling. So pray specifically, Jesus says, and pray persistently. There's really an imperative in the original Greek tense here. It's keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep on, keep on. Because your father is waiting to respond. It's not so much that God is waiting for us to hit some magic number of asks. Like, oh, it's the 69th time, I'll get him the planets. No. It's more, it's, 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 Jesus is almost like, it's more like God is sitting there wondering why you give up so easily. Why don't you guys ask more, he says to his disciples. 
That's one of the things I use as a parent to decide to respond to my kids' requests. When they just let something go, you know, my, my little girls wanted, you know, all sorts of Princess Disney stuff, you know, it's like every day it's a new thing. I'm not, I can tell that's kind of a passing thing. But when they keep at it, lock on like a pit bull, I know they're serious about it. And you know what? As a father, I'm moved by that. I get to see something of their true heart. So what did you pray for this week? What, what did you think about it? That list of requests we started with was heartfelt, but no doubt sincere. But how bad do you really want it? I know I risk stepping on some toes here, but have you really wrestled with God about it? I mean, kept at it. Asking, seeking, knocking. Asking, seeking. Or is your prayer more of a prayer of resignation? Like, you know, Father, I, I kind of hope this happens, and, you know, I really, it'd be great if you could fix my marriage, but, like, I'm just not expecting that much. Or heal my dad. Lord, I'm just, I think it's something you just got to live with, I got. Or supply a spouse. In your timing, if it's 10 years from now, that's totally okay. No, I, I feel like I need this now, Father. Now, do not hear this as some backhanded guilt trip. <laughs> like, the reason you're not getting what you want is that you're not praying hard enough. Yeah, thanks, real helpful. No. This is about relationship, remember? Getting to know the heart of God. And actually being changed into his likeness through our interaction with him. And when we pursue God this way with persistence, with boldness, it's a thundering statement of faith. Because it shows we believe he not only has the resources to do what seems impossible from a ground level, but that we actually believe his intentions towards us are good. That he actually wants to give us bread, that he's not a stingy neighbor. And that we have faith in his timing. And we fervently want to see his will done on this earth while we're alive. Whatever will bring Abba the most glory, let's see that happen. I'm asking. I am seeking. I am knocking. I know you can do it, God. I know you can. I know you can. I know you can. And I won't let go. And even if you don't, I won't let go. Because I believe your heart and my heart are one. And I want them to be on the same page and come into harmony no matter how long it takes. In his tidy little book, The Prayer Matrix, Plugging into the Unseen Reality, David Jeremiah tells about a professor he had in the seminary named Howard Hendricks. And uh, he's the head of the department, gifted communicator, great man of God. And, and Jeremiah says he'll never forget the day that he came to class with tears streaming down his face, just crying, just undone. And as Howard Hendricks struggled to regain his composure, he announced to his class, he said, gentlemen, I want to tell you something. My 77-year-old father received Jesus Christ as Savior last night. And that may not be meaningful to you until I also tell you that for 40 years I have prayed every day for his salvation. And after 40 years, God finally said yes. What would it be like to have a 40-year conversation with somebody? Do you think that he got to know God just a little bit better by dialoguing for four decades does, does that just show just a little bit in, in love for both his earthly father and his trust in a heavenly one? No wonder Jesus told his disciples parables, quote, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's what it says in Luke 18.1. So here's my question for you. What are you that diligent about in your prayers? Be honest with yourself. Is there anything that you are like so locked in on, that you are so burdened by, that you're so concerned with, that every single time you pray, it's like, God, God, God. Abba, I know it seems impossible, but please, you've got to bring her back. 
please bring my son or daughter to you. Please, please, God, it seems impossible, but to my last breath, I'm going to pray and ask, and I'm not going to give up, because this is how your son taught me to pray. Is, is there anything that you are that consumed about in your prayers? Or are your prayers just in, you know, today and, uh, and tomorrow? Like, you know, I, I pray for my job or the exam, and I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. I mean, tomorrow it's the same thing. I want to challenge you to challenge God. Is there anything that you are honoring God with because of the magnitude of your requests? Anything you are so passionately concerned about that you actually refuse not to pray about it? And that you refuse not to knock on the doors of heaven like a pest? Is there anything that big going on in your life? If not, you are missing out on an opportunity to see your father respond and do something great in this world. In his timing, no doubt, but you're also missing out on an opportunity to see God do something great in you. Because as Jesus says in verse 10, he says, for everyone, that would be us, (laughs) for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. In other words, there will always be an answer to persistent, consistent prayer. There's really no such thing as unanswered prayer. It's never spoken of in the Bible. Now, it may not be always answered the way we would like or in the time frame we'd prefer, but Jesus says, oh, no, 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 your Father will answer all of you. Now, I know some of you think, I know what you're thinking because I'm there too. We, we all want to point to the exceptions. Like, well, dude, wait. I asked for something. I really persisted. I didn't get what I wanted. My marriage did fall apart. Well, it seems that way. And Jesus says, okay, I understand that. My my good friends, Mary and Martha, they prayed for their brother Lazarus not to die, and he died. I understand. Sometimes it doesn't happen the way you expect, and that's, that's no mystery to me. But you asked me about prayer, about how it works, and I'm telling you, Don't let go until you absolutely have to because your father is honored and his heart is moved by persistent prayer and he always responds to those who sincerely seek after him. Now, he may not always give us the answer we particularly want or when we want it, but he always answers sincere prayer. His answer isn't always yes. Bill Hybels offers a helpful little paradigm that goes like this. If the request is wrong, God often says no. If you are wrong, God often will say, grow. In other words, there are a lot of variables in in God moving and responding to the requests of his children. If the timing is wrong, God actually says, slow. And if the request is right, and you are right, and the timing is right, God says, go. I I thought about that this week. It's not like a clever little thing. I'm just like, I, I thought about this, and I was like, I can actually see each of these answers in various stages of my own life. I think about no. <laughs> I'm used to those. When I was applying to undergraduate college, I actually applied um, to Dartmouth, my father's alma mater. Really wanted to go there. Thought that would be great. Kind of had some good grades. Really wanted to get in. And I remember that day like it was yesterday. I, I remember, you know, run home, check the mailbox, check the mailbox, check the mailbox, and I got it. And I could see from the thinness of that envelope, <laughs> this is not the acceptance packet, is it? <laughs> and I opened it up and just had two, you know, big... N-O, and, you know, size, you know, 29 font. That's it, you know. <laughs> they were actually very nice about it. Uh, but, but I have to assume that the request was wrong. And with hindsight, I actually see why. And there's no doubt in my mind when I look back at my education that God wanted me to go to a Christian school. I was at that point just kind of flailing around and get a background that actually equipped me for stuff later on that I couldn't quite see. 
But if the request is wrong, God says no. So I went to Wheaton College, where, where I gained an appreciation for story and film. And so when I graduated, I actually wanted to move to, Colleen remembers, Los Angeles. <laughs> and work as, a, as an intern in screenwriting. I actually had it all lined up. I actually met Wes Craven, who was an alumnus of Wheaton College. He got kicked out. Went out there and met him and said, man, I'd love to work for you. And we worked this thing out. And, and at the last minute where I was going to go out there, ready to fly, make my appointments and, and book my flights, boom, the, the, the plug just got pulled the last minute. I was like, what? Why? For the longest time. I was like, Lord, I want to use, use film and media to make an impact for you in this culture. So why not? And I look back on that now and see God's protection of me. I actually had a friend who shared the same dream. We were buddies in college. He went out there actually at the same time, and I was extremely jealous. And in about six months, he was totally swallowed alive by the culture of excess, just partying. And, 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 and I looked up to him, and he got totally taken out. And I was like, oh, my gosh. If he got taken out, I would have gotten killed. Father knew best. He said, Grow first before I entrust you with influence and give your heart's desire. If you, you are wrong, God says grow. So I was grounded in New Jersey, and as you know, I got married, something else that most likely would not have happened had God allowed me to move out to L.A. And I got involved in something I never thought I'd do, ministry. <laughs> it's like it kind of grew as a Christian, as a leader, and suddenly I discovered I absolutely actually loved teaching, something I vowed I'd never do. And we started this little thing called Liquid. <laughs> Discovered that actually there's room in church for using movie clips and music and popular culture to express the message of God to new generation. And during that time, I was growing. And I remember as Liquid began expanding in the early days, we like, in just like a couple years, we swelled to like 400 folks. I remember a friend saying, dude, why don't you guys start a church? And the thought had never occurred to me before. I wasn't quite sure that's what I was supposed to do. I was like, well, I never want to be in ministry either. So I, I prayed about it. I said, God, if you, if, this would be weird. If you would like me to lead a church, I'm open to that, but you're going to have to make it really, really clear. And you know what his answer was? Slow. (laughs) You still got a lot to learn, boy. (laughs) There's much I want to teach you and to bake into you before I allow that next step to happen. And boy, am I glad that God put the brakes on early on and let liquid naturally develop over the past five years. to Just grow organically bringing many of you like-minded people who have a heart for the lost and not forcing it to be something prematurely. See, if the timing is wrong, God actually says, slow, whoa, 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 slow down. But if the request is right, and you are right, and the timing is right, God often says, go. And we saw that just this past fall as we began praying this summer about launching out as an independent church. On our own, we actually prayed about it. We asked Pastor Pendel and the elders to pray, and we got a sense that God had accomplished what he wanted to in our current location. And was preparing us to launch out and reach even more people in our own venue on a Sunday morning. And the time was right, and we took a step of faith, and God said, go. We got an incredible confirmation that next morning, after that formal decision, when God brought along that, that donor with a, you know, a gift of 300K to support this launch in 2017. Talk about a green light. Go. <laughs> confirmation. So God is telling us go, and in fact, I'm starting to feel like he's like, keep up. Hurry up. <laughs> So in my own walk with God, and it's a journey, no doubt, I've known many of these, each of these answers firsthand, and I suspect you have too. The part for me that's most difficult is not actually the answer no. It's the answer slow. I want God to answer my prayers right now. I want to pray and then like feel that when I get up off my knees, God is already waiting at the tent flap with the bread. (laughs) 
David Jeremiah notes, and God does that for us sometimes, but many times he puts us in a storm or he waits for a period of time so we can keep praying and can grow our prayer wings and be stronger than we otherwise would be. In other words, folks, what's the goal of any parent? What do I hope beyond hope for my little boy, Dell? That he gets his planets and stays in his room playing with the solar system for the rest of his life? <laughs> no. My overarching goal for my son is that he'd simply do one thing, grow. That he'd grow up from a boy who trusts his earthly daddy into a man who resembles his heavenly one. And my job on earth is to do whatever it takes to help him mature, to grow. And sometimes that means I'm going to respond positively to his requests. And at other times, I'll wait. And sometimes I'll say, no, 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 boy. Not to frustrate him, but because I have something better. And that's what Jesus is getting at in this last verse, in this passage, verse 13. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, don't miss this nuance at the end of Jesus' teaching here. Do not tune out because it's easy to miss. If you glance over it, I've done it a thousand times in this passage. Because you'd assume Jesus would end by saying, hey, guys, if your earthly father, I mean, who's flawed, that's why he says, you know, you're evil, who's flawed, can be counted on to give you a fish or an egg or whatever you need for your nourishment, how much more will your heavenly Father, who's perfect and holy and knows exactly what you need, be counted on to give you an egg or a fish or a... But he doesn't say that. He says, we'll give you what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And this is a shift in thought here, folks. It's not... Your earthly dad will always answer your request for bread. So, therefore, your heavenly father will also give you a loaf of sourdough whenever you want it. No. It's your Abba in heaven can be counted on to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And point is, sometimes God declines to give us what we want so he can give us something better, his own self. That's what the Holy Spirit is, the character, the breath of God. See, Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Daily bread is a good thing, but it's not the only thing. And according to Jesus, it's not the most important thing. Remember, the ultimate goal of any Christian life is to grow up, to be like daddy. And one of the ways that happens is to spend time talking with him. That's what we call prayer, and it's our primary mode of relationship. When we engage in persistent prayer, Jesus says... Something unique is guaranteed to happen even if your circumstances don't seem to change. You will change in the process. So your father is very interested in the process we go through in approaching him with our requests. And most times, even when our requests don't seem to change Abba's mind, in the asking and seeking and knocking, guess who's changed? The asker, the seeker, and the knocker. And folks, if you're here with another religion tonight or from a different background or doubting, this is a great way to understand the distinction between this and all other world religions. There's a difference between Christian prayer and the prayer of all other world religions. Back around 50 BC, the Roman philosopher Cicero, he stated the purpose of pagan prayer this way. He said, we do not pray to Jupiter to make us good, but to give us material benefits. That's pagan prayer. In other words, the highest request is, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me bread. Material request, give me. But for the Christian, something like the reverse applies. As Yancey writes, we may approach God with some material benefit in mind, 
And sometimes, blessedly, we receive it. But in the very act of praying, we also open up a channel that God can use in transforming us, in making us good. Persistent prayer changes me by helping me see the world and my life through God's eyes. And as the relationship progresses, I realize that God has a clearer picture of what I need than I do. In other words, we may ask for bread, but what, he re- what we really need is to be baked ourselves. To be molded and shaped and changed into the kind of children that God can use in a powerful way. In the end, folks, many times, let's be honest, we don't even know what we're praying for. <laughs> when we pray, it's like we, we look about our lives and see sources of pain or we, or we feel areas that seem like they're gaps and we ask God for that. And that's great. That's obedient. Jesus instructs us to do that. Don't give up. But even in so doing, God makes a concession. He listens to what we want, but he can be trusted to give us what we need more. Exterior changes in our circumstances may sometimes be a part of that, but almost always, interior change is the goal. And that's what happens. When you really press in with persistent prayer, although you bring honest concerns to God, over time you may come away with an entirely different set of concerns. You see this all the way throughout Scripture, by the way. This week, you take a moment, take a look at Acts chapter 10. It's this amazing account and just illustrates this truth. This disciple, Jesus' disciple Peter, he goes up on a roof to pray, to get alone, find a place, he prays, right? And it's lunchtime, and it says, Scripture says, and he's very hungry. And his prayers and his thoughts begin literally being about what, do you know? Food. He has a food dream while he's praying. (laughs) Well, little did he know that by the time he came down from the roof, he realized God was actually speaking to him about racism in the church and keeping others out, matters of the heart. Like Peter, we may pray for food and get a larger lesson in the heart and character of God. Or like Paul, another disciple of Jesus' who prayed persistently and never gave up, we may pray for healing and get humility instead. Which is the greater gift? We may ask for relief from trials and instead get patience to bear them. We may pray for release from prison, like Paul did, or a dead-end job, like you, and instead get strength to redeem the time while you're there. See, asking, seeking, and knocking does have an effect on God, just as Jesus claimed it would, there's no doubt, but it also has a profound effect on the asker, seeker, and knocker. Oswald Chambers, in If You Will Ask, writes this, he says, It is not so true that prayer changes things as that prayer changes us, and then we change things. Prayer is not altering things externally, but working wonders within our disposition. When we pray... Things remain the same, and we begin to be different. See, most of us have goal-oriented, accomplish-the-mission attitude towards life. Remember you type A people, you raise your hand? You know what prayer does to that? It just stops you dead in your tracks. That's why, that's why I don't want to pray. Because when we pray, we learn to actually, we can't fix the people I am praying for. I can't get everything I want in the time frame I want. I have to slow down, and I have to wait, and I have to present my requests in a manner that seems at first like surrender. That's why we say I give them up to God. It's an act of submission. And when that happens, God can at last begin to grow you in the qualities or the fruit that you needed actually all along. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the, anyone? Holy Spirit. Yes, Abba himself. And through persistent prayer, we grow up into his image. Folks, it's not that Abba has anything against giving his children bread. He's not stingy. It's just at times he prefers 
fruit more. More than simply changing our circumstances, God loves to change us through prayer. He does. I can't tell you of the stories of men and women who prayed for prodigal children in a couple of years of that. They're just praying and praying and praying, and, 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 and they come back and they say, you know what? We realize we're the ones whose hearts need to change. No wonder she left. No wonder he left. And it was in persistent praying and grappling with God and saying, God, why won't you hear us? Why won't you change his heart? Why won't you change, bring her back? It was in that process of prayer that God revealed to us, you know what? I'm not going to bring him back. I'm not going to bring her back until I do something in you. Because they won't stay until you allow me to do something inside of you. Or the husband who prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for his wife to come back and finally through the process of prayer said, God, I'm not going to give up. And God said, okay, well then let's start with you. And before I bring her back and restore your marriage, can I have total access actually to you? Are, are you willing to do the thy will be done thing first? <laughs> Never done that before. I just wanted my marriage back. That's okay. Stay focused. <laughs> But I need to do something in you before I do something in them. In prayer, we present our heartfelt requests, sometimes repeatedly, and then put ourselves in a state to receive the result. We pray for what our Father wants to give us, which may turn out to be an external gift like bread, or it may be the Holy Spirit, fruit in our inner life. But from God's viewpoint, there's no better response than the gift of his own character developing in our lives. That's why Jesus ends the parable of the crotchety neighbor with these words, right? He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the, what? Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now, in his gospel, Matthew records this exact same saying with one change. It says, how much more will your Father in heaven give, what? Good gifts to those who ask him. Why did Jesus end the same story with two different punchlines? Because he's making a nuanced point about what you can expect to receive when you pray with persistence. In other words, sometimes you get bread, good gifts, And sometimes you get fruit, the spirit of God himself inside of you, changing you, molding his character into you. You don't know, but you dare not stop asking. Even if nobody comes to the door, you keep knocking. And just because you haven't found it yet, you keep asking because my father honors persistent prayer. And something or someone's going to change every single time. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks will have a door open to her. That's the promise. And that's why we pray with persistence. Challenge for you this week. Would those of you who posted your prayer requests online do it again this week? You don't even need to change your request. You could could ask your father for the same thing, but just take a moment to pray before you do. Bread and fruit... And type it fresh. Would you consider adding something else, though? Would you consider asking your father for fruit as well? That if he doesn't immediately come to the door to provide bread, that he'd use this time to bake his own character into you. That you'd be open to change in the waiting. Whether he says no, slow, or go. That you want to, above everything else, grow into the image of Christ. Because that's the whole goal of the spiritual life and it's why God wants us to get vertical with him so post your number one prayer request this week on liquidchurch.com maybe you didn't put one last week you can go and put it for the first time but put your thoughts your feedback and maybe your mind will change even this week as as you'll see something bigger to even ask your father for but let's be bold and let's be persistent together 
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the invitation to come before you boldly. Thank you, Lord, that in the waiting, you are often, in some mysterious way, Father, glorified, and we're changed. And that's hard, Lord. We don't pretend it's not. Um, I want to pray for every man and woman, Lord, um, over 115 of them posting their hearts, Lord, and that was risky to do. A lot of pain. People wanting to forgive someone who abused them or assaulted them when they were younger. And that's not easily just walk through, Father. But it's not beyond you. We say that. It is not beyond you. You are the everlasting God, and you can heal. You have done it, Lord, and you will heal. You will do it to people in this room. I pray most of all, Lord, that you would find us um, to be a people of prayer, persistently turning to you out of our need, out of our dependence. We long to become like you and ask that even this, Lord, would take us one step closer. In Jesus' name, God's people agreed together and said, Amen.